Welcome to America's Cannabis Conversation at americascannabisconversation.com. And here's your host, Dan Perkins. Hello and welcome to America's Cannabis Conversation Weekend Highlights. I'm your host, Dan Perkins. First, let's talk about investing your money. People are wondering, is now a good time to put your money to work in the cannabis space? With the uncertainty about the federal regulations, can you still make money? Joining us today is Sam Masucci, who is the CEO and founder of the ETFMG, which is an exchange-traded mutual fund, the first in the U.S. and the world's largest to target global cannabis industry. These funds are part of an overall portfolio that Sam and his company manage, some in cannabis, some outside of cannabis. So if you want to find out about how to invest in the cannabis space today in a diversified portfolio with liquidity of the New York Stock Exchange, then listen to this interview with Sam. John Kajia from New Frontier Data, who is the Chief Knowledge Officer, great title, is here today to talk about something that's really strange. Did you know that if you grow cannabis to be sold to the public, your plants have to be tested for their level of THC before you can harvest them. And if you wind up having a what is called a hot crop, you could have your entire crop burned and destroyed and earn nothing for it. These are just some of the challenges of getting in the cannabis space today, not only in the United States, but around the world. You don't want to miss this interview with John. Have you ever had a garden and fought with the bugs and the beetles and the worms and everything else and you didn't know what to do? You didn't want to poison the plants uh, and poison your family. So you're really looking for a way to how I can grow my plants more efficiently and safely. Well, joining us today is Colin Bell, PhD, who is going to talk to us about how to grow plants organically and control the pests that can eat up your plant and destroy your plant. So make sure if you're interested in growing, whether it's cannabis or anything else, listen to this interview with Colin. And last but not least is Terry Ridley. She is the CEO and founder of Civilized. Civilized established a lifestyle brand to elevate the status of cannabis and bring it into the masses in a proper manner. She's a dynamic individual. I had a chance to talk to her before the show. And if you want to address up your portfolio of how you look, think, and feel, you might want to listen to Terry. This has been your American Cannabis Conversation Weekend Highlights. I'm Dan Perkins. Now let's get on with the show. Welcome back to the conversation. And joining today is an individual who is kind of like a brother in the sense that we're both in the investment business. I've been in it a little longer because I'm a lot older than him, but he's a pretty smart guy. Sam Sam Masucci. Did I get that right? Yes, you did. Thank you. Okay, Sam Masucci. He's the CEO of ETFMG, which is a portfolio. And this is important, ladies and gentlemen, a portfolio of exchange-traded funds specializing in the cannabis space. So, Sam, thank you for joining us today. Well, thank you so much for having me. So, as a as an investment advisor who's been buying ETFs for uh, his clients since they first came out and still doing them. 
What got you into the business? Ah, great question. Um, well, I started in the financial services business uh, back mm-hmm. in the late 80s and um, learned pretty quickly that um, when it came to speaking to people about the benefits of uh, asset diversification, planning for the future, uh, uh, diversification amongst uh, different asset classes, uh, I generally did very well with that and was able to attract uh, a number of uh, quality clients and assets. Uh, what I also found pretty quickly is that I was very poor at picking individual stocks. Hmm. And so back in the late 80s, I quickly adopted uh, what I'll refer to as managed money. So mm-hmm. different portfolios that gave people access to interesting uh, themes. And uh, back then, that was done from active management, uh, mutual funds, uh, some separately managed accounts. And, um, you know, as I'm sure everyone, your listeners know, around uh, uh, 1993, a new financial engineering technology came out, the ETF, uh, uh, and that debuted with, a, with an ETF called the Spider. And mm-hmm. since that point, really – the engineering in financial products, giving people access to global portfolios on a transparent, liquid, and tax-advantaged basis, really, the, the, it, it just changed the whole way that people can access that. The, the ETF is the best financially engineered product for people to get access to the types of portfolios and themes that they're interested in. They're liquid, they're transparent, they're low-cost, uh, but most importantly, from the way I got into the business, they remove the single stock risk. So, for instance, in, in the case of some of our, uh, our cannabis ETFs, uh, MJ, which is the largest cannabis ETF uh, in the world, particularly being MJ, um, it's giving people access to a global portfolio of important companies that are really at the forefront of the development of using cannabis for medicinal purposes. Um, and those are companies like, you know, Tilray, Canopy Growth, Aurora. Um, these are very, very interesting companies to access. Sometimes they're very difficult to access. Uh, but most importantly, by having a portfolio of 32 stocks, you know that you're going to get the best representation of that theme, which in this particular fund is, um, is uh, medicinal uh, marijuana being used for medicinal purposes. I think you 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 made two very important points that I want to I want to reiterate with you. It, it's the same reason why I adopted ETFs in my practice uh, about the time they first started coming out. Um, if you look back at the history of some of the best performing mutual funds in the last hundred years, of all the mutual funds, about sixty five percent never, never outperform the index, 65%. Part of that is the fee structure. Part of it is uh, styles, drift, and slip, and all kinds of things. When I started looking at ETFs, uh, a lot of the things that I was concerned about in buying mutual funds, cost being one of them, but the deviation from what their portfolio profile was supposed to be was was enormous. Uh, you 
you got in when you purchased an ETF, you bought a pure asset play. If I wanted to be in the S&P 500 and I owned the S&P 500 index, I knew I was going to exactly perform, good or bad, what the S&P 500 index. And I think you're right, picking individual stocks is very difficult, and it's getting even more difficult as the stock markets are becoming more and more volatile. So it started with one ETF, right? Yes. Okay. What made you decide to, to expand the portfolio? Um, so, and, and just to be clear, we're, we're referring to the portfolio of cannabis ETFs. Yes, we are. Yes. So, um, so I mean, it really started before launching the first, which is when we speak to institutions, registered investment advisors, pendants, um, there was a common interest in finding the best ways to access cannabis. And mm -hmm. so that's why we launched our first uh, fund, uh, MJ. And then as you start speaking to more people that are uh, investing in MJ for their clients, we found that there were other particular needs that people were interested in that we knew we could also answer. For instance, we knew that there was an interest in a more focused portfolio that uh, was only built around uh, U.S. companies. Mm -hmm. um, Companies like Cresco Labs, Planet 13, Harvest Health, Green Thumb. And so we built a narrower portfolio, um, although it's larger in names. It's 36 names versus 32. Um, and that gave people a U.S. concentration of those companies that are leading the, the pack within uh, U.S. cannabis. We then also found that people wanted uh, access to greater volatility, um, there has been a lot of volatility in cannabis, um, and a lot of that is caused just by a lot of the regulatory uncertainty and new players coming in. And so we launched MJXL. MJXL gives people a two times or a levered exposure to a global portfolio that is similar to MJ, but in that, like I said, that levered fashion. And then the other fund that uh, will come out probably sometime in early September will give people access to a, a cannabis hedging vehicle, which will be a, a, a inverse two times uh, daily exposure to uh, global cannabis. So once we've done that, we really have completed a suite so that whatever someone's interest is in for gaining access to cannabis, ETFMG is now a one-stop shop for whatever type of exposure that particular investor is looking for. I think it's just an amazing. And I know when we talked before, you were talking about the new fund coming out. Uh, it's, you said sometime in September. Um, yeah. It, it seems to me uh, that looking at what you've accomplished and the strategies that you have out there, uh, you can, an investor who makes a decision that they want to have cannabis as part of their portfolio, the strategies that you could do in asset allocation with your four, four funds. It's just um, there aren't limits, or any limits to how you can lever it, how you can lever it against the S&P 500 and on and on and on. I think it's an amazing idea. But it isn't like going to Walgreens and buying a bottle of aspirin. These things just can't be bought. They have to be bought in a certain way, meaning where you place your order is different. Spend a moment and talk about how people buy your product. 
Sure. So all of our, uh, our ETFs are listed on the New York Stock Exchange. Uh, they have um, uh, tickers, similar to stock tickers, and they're priced mm-hmm. every 15 seconds. So typically people are purchasing them either through an investment advisor or now with self-directed uh, access, uh, things like you know Robinhood and, uh, and Betterment and things like that, people will gain access to the funds. So it really is open to um, you know to, to all investors across the U.S. And in fact, about 30% of our investors are non-U.S. investors. So it really has become what I'll call a, a global investment with interest uh, from greater than just U.S. investors. So they're very, very easy to access. Uh, they've been very liquid, um, and they have uh, significant trading of shares every day, which, you know, again, gives people kind of that, that liquid, transparent uh, exposure to, uh, to cannabis. There are some people saying that uh, Biden doesn't have the votes to pass it in the Senate. In reviewing the bill, there isn't any protections whatsoever for consumers. They don't speak to how it can be bought in a medical situation. So there are a lot of changes, and now they're saying uh, maybe they'll start with banking reform, but Schumer said, at least publicly, has said he's not going to do banking reform. So in the last minute or so that we have, what do you think is likely to happen over the next six to 12 months in this merry-go-round called cannabis deregulation? I mean, when I look at my crystal ball, and I don't know that it's any clearer than others, um, I do think that what is going to lead more federal-level regulatory clarity around cannabis is going to start with safe banking. I think it's it's very well needed now. Um, a lot of what I follow is they're going to look, uh, you know, the, the Fed is really looking at state-level regulation, very similar to the way that alcohol and tobacco uh, is also regulated, but federal mm-hmm. clarity. Right now, if you think about it, if you're in Colorado, which is a state that has approved both medicinal and recreational, you can only transact in cash. And so literally you have armored cars coming to these store owners who have all this cash that they need to have leave and go into the bank. You can't Mm -hmm. transact in credit cards and you can't transact in other types of more efficient payment matters. So I really do think the Fed is going to bring some clarity to that. But that, again, is going to be the precursor to more of a, a federal higher level acceptance. And what's wrapped into that, of course, is our judicial system and how um, each of the states and the Fed wants to deal with, you know, as they call prior acts. So instances where uh, someone, uh, you know, decriminalizing it, but also then being able to deal with those who may be incarcerated for, uh, pers- for prior personal use or for the types of uh, uh, cannabis use that's now going to be approved. And so I, there's a lot wrapped into it. I mean, I, I don't know. I guess it's we haven't seen this since uh, the end of prohibition, right? How people, right, are, yeah. uh, you know, how, how you reintroduce or you introduce something like cannabis or alcohol uh, and a federally approved into the masses. So it's being developed. You know, they're certainly working on things like infrastructure and other types of, uh, uh, I guess, more pressing issues. But I do see this in the next 12 months as being focused on by the federal government because there's such there's such a high percentage of acceptance throughout the U.S. and globally now for mm-hmm. deregulating, uh, or I should say for uh, decriminalizing and giving okay. people access to cannabis. Good. We've been speaking to Sam 
Marsucci, who is the CEO and founder of the ETF MG family of exchange traded funds. Sam, how can people follow uh, your investments? Uh, well, the, the best way is you can come to our website, etfmg.com, and you'll see not only our cannabis suite, but all of the 18 ETFs that we currently operate. Um, and as I said, every one of our funds is listed on the New York Stock Exchange uh, and available for purchase. Thank you so much for joining us, and we'll look forward to having you on again real soon. Very good. Thank you for your time. Sure. If you miss any of this terrific, insightful interview with Sam, go to w420radionetwork.com, go to the archive section, and look up Sam's name, and you'll be able to hear this one and future when he comes on later. We'll be right back. Hello, this is Dan Perkins, and I've got a question for you. If you knew what your customers wanted, would you be more successful? Of course you would, but how can you obtain this valuable information for your success? If you use the Engage portion of the Equio software from New Frontier Data, you won't need to guess what customers want to buy. Guessing can be very challenging and expensive, and more often than not, non-productive. If you want to find out what customers want, then go to NewFrontierData.com and click on the Equio button, and don't forget to ask about the special offer. This is Dan Perkins. You're listening to America's Cannabis Conversation on W420RadioNetwork.com. Welcome back to America's Cannabis Conversation. And back with us is a good friend and very, very smart individual, John Kajia, who's the Chief Knowledge Officer for New Frontier Data, which is a sponsor of one of the segments of our show. John, I understand you have a new report that you're being publi- you're publishing um you published last Wednesday, and um, that it's available for free to our listeners. So tell us about the report. Thanks very much, Dan, and, and it's a delight to be back. Um, you know, we have been looking very closely at the evolution of the regulatory landscape in this industry, and we thought it important to, to uh, spend some time looking at um, how some of the dynamics or dynamic regulations are impacting uh, the ability for operators to, to build businesses in this space because they introduce uh, uncertainty and risk. And so um, our latest report, which literally came out this morning, uh, looks at that. It looks at some of uh, the examples that we have both from the U.S. Uh, and from around the world on how shifting regulations are impacting the cannabis business uh, or the cannabis industry, and why it's so, so important for uh, stakeholders in this industry to be paying very, very close to the regular, uh, attention to the regulatory landscape because of how even small changes in, in uh, rules and regulations can have massive cascading uh, implications for the way business is done. John, we have a uh, – I, I hope this is uh, fair to say it this way. We have um, multiple jurisdictions that have – state governing authority on the sale of cannabis, both recreational and medical. Mm-hmm. And, and, and there, yep. there's, there are some similarities, but there's a lot of differences. Now you compound that by more countries uh, passing uh, relief and allowing both medical and, and recreational cannabis, and they have their own regulations. So uh, mm-hmm. it must be an incredible spider web of trying to figure out what the heck you should do. It truly is. And and let's use CBD as an example, because I think CBD is a great example of 
uh, an increasingly globalized commodity that has seen, to your point, this uh, spiderweb-like fragmentation uh, in regulatory policy. So in the U.S., uh, the 2018 Farm Bill legalized uh, hemp and and CBD. However, um, the FDA continues to deliberate on a rule around whether CBD is going to be uh, allowed in foods, in ingestible human products. Now, uh, despite the fact that that, uh, as it currently stands under federal law, uh, food for uh, CBD-infused foods are currently not legal, uh, there are more than a dozen states that have, at the state level, uh, allowed CBD-infused food. So we've got a patchwork nation model uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, in the U.S. just around CBD-infused foods. And that's being replicated uh, globally. So in Europe, um, when the U.K. used to be part of, uh, of the EU before Brexit, um, broadly, EU, the, the rules governing CBD were fairly uniform across the continent. However, uh, post-Brexit, um, the U.K. decided that um, uh, the, the, or passed a new law uh, called the Novel Foods Law, under which, uh, in order to sell CBD-infused foods, you've got to demonstrate scientifically the safety profile and efficacy of this this uh, product. So it's meant that um, for some CBD companies, getting the science done to to, to pass the, uh, uh, the, the the this new fo- Novel Foods requirement. Uh, it's costing you know anywhere from three hundred to five hundred thousand uh, dollars, which is well beyond the reach of some of these small mom and pop operators. And so mm-hmm. it's meant that a lot of products that are currently on uh, retail shelves uh, are going to end up getting pulled because they they have not met the novel food requirement. Um, and so it's a re- relatively recent change in regulations, but it's had a massive impact on who has the ability to participate in this market and what products are going to be available to consumers uh, over, the, over the medium to long term um, as companies really kind of struggle to, to meet these novel food requirements. John, when, when you look at what you were saying, listen to what you were saying, um, the, the exemption, if you can call it that, on CBD is if it's less than 3.5% THC. If if you have a CBD <laughs> higher than three and a half percent THC, it falls into another category of jurisdiction. Exactly right. Um, so so um, for for CBD products that have less than not point three percent THC, um, then those products are governed by. Um, by CBD laws. But as soon as you cross that uh, 0.3% in most of the world, but in some markets it can be 1% THC level, uh, then you fall into the THC market and then you have <laughs> then being governed by uh, the, the THC rules. Uh, and, and it's a really, a really important point, particularly for cultivators, because there's something that in, in the hemp ecosystem uh, that's called testing hot. You know, hemp is a, it's, it's a plant. And so you know, unfortunately, sometimes nature just doesn't follow the rules that we wanted to comply to comply with. Uh, and there are instances where, even though the seeds that you plant are for uh, CBD and and are intended to have very low THC levels, you can have environmental conditions that are just right to stimulate 
higher than expected key key levels. Uh, and this is a major problem for hemp growers because once you test hot, um, then the, the uh, or test above that 0.3% uh, THC threshold, um, then you're you're now falling under the jurisdiction of THC rules, um, and uh, the both the Department of Agriculture and the uh, Drug Enforcement uh, uh, Agency have kind of very clear rules on on how to govern these products, how to manage these these uh, uh, these crops that are testing hot. And in some cases, it's meant that farmers are losing their crops because um, their plants are testing hot. So even though you're dealing with a natural and organic plant and, and it's not always possible to control it as tightly as we would like, um, this idea of testing either below or above uh, uh, the government-specified limits adds an additional layer of both complexity and risk uh, for, for growers and for anyone who touches uh, the, the, the plants subsequent um, if those plants are testing hot. John, um, I know this is probably not the greatest analogy, but it's the thing that comes to my mind. Um, uh, Canadian Club is a Canadian wh- blended whiskey, and um, they gather different alcohol contents of, of, of whiskey and blend them together to get to a, a predictable level. Is it possible that these mm-hmm. farmers who, who are growing hot product can acquire CBD oil in the marketplace that can dilute and bring them back into compliance? Great question. Um, unfortunately, because of the way the rules are being written, the plants are being tested before they are harvested. So, so there's, depending on where you are, uh, a 15 to 30 day window where before you harvest, you have to test. So they're not even able to get to the point where they've, they've harvested and extracted the oils in order to do the blending. Uh, because the, their plants are being tested by by the regulators before they come out of the soil, um, and so if you test hot before before you get out of the soil, uh, or while your your, your plants are, are still in the ground, um, then you, you really have very very limited recourse there uh, in, in terms of the, the ability to counterbalance the uh, excess uh, THC level in in what you have uh, with or, or supplement it with very low THC products from the market to create a, a, a blend that will then fall below that threshold. Mm. So the testing requirement while the plants are in the ground makes it difficult to create that uh, that blended uh, mix that falls below the required regulatory threshold. So would a, 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 in essence, John, would a farmer who has tested both hot plants be forced to destroy his crop? Yes. Um, that's that's wow. the grim reality that, uh, that, that that they're facing, um, and you know the the it, it raises some questions. One can uh, the product that is hot, if it is being grown by a farmer in a market where THC is legal, uh, sell it into the THC market. As it currently stands, uh, most jurisdictions don't permit that. They, they don't permit. Um, that sort of transfer from what is what should have been a compliant hemp product into a THC market, um, and so you end up having crops being destroyed uh, because they they fall outside the defined uh, parameters or defined limits um, uh, um, for for uh, the, the state regulations. So, now there are ways to re- remediate these 
level. You, you can take them to a processor and basically have uh, do an extraction that removes the THC so that even though the plant itself tested hard, uh, the, the resulting uh, extracts uh, have the THC removed and, and are therefore compliant for the CBD market. Um, but you know that that's a, 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 as a farmer you would still have run afoul of the state regulations uh, around what qualifies uh, as a state approved hemp if you have tested hot. So uh, in the time we have left, John, what 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 are you what are you saying to people? What should they be, what 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 should we be doing to deal with this issue? So we think a couple of things. One. Uh, we would continue to urge any stakeholder in this market, particularly if you're in a plant-touching business, to be watching very closely any proposed rules or, reg or regulatory changes um, uh, that influence the part of the market that you're in. Um, uh, because, and be very active in the rulemaking process, you know, make your voice heard uh, to inform regulators who candidly aren't particularly savvy on these issues. Um, two, uh, have contingency protocols in place uh, to ensure that you understand what happens if, if your operation is, runs uh, accidentally afoul of these regulations. So have very clear steps in, uh, in place, protocols in place. Uh, if your crop is going to test hot, understand uh, what your actions of remediation are going to be, understand uh, what the steps in dealing with regulators are going to be, and be clear on that before it happens. Uh, because the worst thing that can happen is for uh, a regulatory agency to show up to test your crop, uh, for you to test positive, uh, to, to test above the, the regulated uh, threshold, and you not have a plan in place to address that. Well, um, two things, uh, two quick questions. Uh, is there any kind of a service that you offer at New Frontier that can help the farmer uh, set up a plan? Um, great question. So um, we do work with uh, operators across the supply chain, not just growers, but processors and retailers, to understand the regulatory environment in which they're operating in uh, mm -hmm. and, and kind of provide advisory services and helping them think through uh, how to be best prepared for the, for the um, uh, space that they're in. And we've got quite a number of partners that are deeply expert at this. Uh, and go ahead, please. No, I was going to ask you a second question. Second question is, where do they go to get this report? Thank you. Um, you can uh, gain access to this report and to every other report that New Frontier has published at newfrontierdata.com slash reports. That's newfrontierdata.com slash reports. John, it's always a pleasure to talk with you, and thank you for joining us today on America's Cannabis Conversation. It was a pleasure, Dan. Thank you so very much. Thank you. If you missed any of this terrific interview on an important subject uh, from John, you can go to w420radionetwork.com, go to the archive section and look up John, and you'll see many interviews by him. We'll be right back.
Hello, this is Dan Perkins. Here's more important information about the Engage section of the amazing software for new frontier data called Equio. These are just examples of some of the things that Engage can do for you. You will be able to see and understand consumption preferences at the county, state, and even the zip code level. You'll want to follow product trends filtered by age and gender so you know exactly what to offer and how to market it. How about learning the market density of the location you might be considering to expanding your business? Use the Visit Index score to determine the trends that impact your outreach and messaging. Engage with your customers customer base to expand and repeat your value. You can learn more about product trends filtered by age and gender. This valuable information it helps you to know exactly what to offer and how to market it. Things are changing rapidly and you need the latest information from an independent source to keep yourself informed of the changing markets. For more information on the EQO software package, go to newfrontierdata.com, click on the EQO software, and don't forget to ask about the special offer. This is Dan Perkins. Time now for the lowdown on another high-time experience. Here's 420 Lifestyle Correspondent Rich Walkoff. Okay. All right, here we are at the Emerald Cup 2019. The place is blowing up, and uh, there's all kinds of herbs and buds and vapes, but now we find the science, the biology, the botany to enhance the plant. Rich Walkoff with Colin Bell, Ph.D., are you the architect of this mammoth bringing nature back to agriculture product? Yeah, for sure. So I have a PhD in microbiology, like you said. And we had a vision when I was still working as a research scientist at the university to figure out ways to formulate nature, microbes, and soil to significantly enhance plant quality, plant yield. We came up with something at the university. We launched it about five years ago. The cannabis industry adopted our technology. We're out of Colorado, and that's where we started. And now, five years later, we're selling this technology all over the world to cannabis growers to help them uh, naturally increase uh, their bud quality, terpenes, cannabinoids, and yield potential across their different cultivar types. So how much better is using your product compared to commercial products? Well, so this is a commercial product, but it's a natural biostimulant. So it's a category of additive. Growers are still going to want to nourish their plants through organic or even inorganic fertilizer sources, but you can actually reduce those inputs and add life microbes as catalysts to maximize nutrient use efficiency. And so not only do you balance out uh, fertilizer production, but then application, and then you can just add life back into it. On average, you know, this is biology and this is horticulture and there's always a range and there's a lot of factors that influence yield and quality and plant success. But we see on average of 16% increase in yield and significant increases in cannabinoid profiles and terpene profiles across many cultivars, not only high THC cannabis strains, but also uh, hemp, low THC, high CBD strains. It's just a very consistent pattern and there's obviously variability. Typically, 10 to 20% increases in yield is what we see. Yeah, now, obviously, in the black market, there's so many terrible chemicals being infused and used. So what you're offering is a healthy alternative. Yeah, absolutely. It's important. You know, this is medicine. And we want to know not only what we're consuming, but we want to know what the soil is consuming. And in agriculture, and this is where we identified some uh, environmental and ecological challenges, uh, farmlands are... I wouldn't call them polluted, but they're very challenged by the addition of chemical fertilizer inputs, chemical pesticides, and we see lower biodiversity in the soil in particular, in heavily farmed lands, and we felt like we needed to replenish that through precision microbial solutions. 
to help balance out not only those inputs, but to help nurture a new way of farming. And let's be clear, this is the new normal. This is the new green revolution. It's not heavy NPK. There are always going to be NPK uh uh, necessities, fertilizer necessities for agriculture, but we have to figure out how to balance it with life, and that's you know where the term sustainability comes out. We want to leave more uh, for our future generations than we take away from, and that's what our goal is. So we hear about biodiversity in the wine industry. Are we in a similar vein in the cannabis industry with this mammoth natural product? Yeah, so biodiversity is important for for every aspect of, I think, uh, balance. When we think about it, I think about it in terms of soil. I think about it in terms of making sure that there's enough function in our soil that can sustain life. You know, farmers, the new age of farmers, don't think about growing plants as much as they think about growing soil and allowing the soil to grow the plants. That's how it works in nature. If we can get back to more of that natural paradigm, that natural farming thought, then all of a sudden we start thinking about the bigger picture, the whole ecosystem approach of farming. And I think that's where I guess our vision as humans has fallen short. There was a necessity to develop chemicals. There's a lot of reasons why they're developed and why they're widely used. They scale, they're effective, long shelf life, all these details. But at some point there's trade-offs. And we in this generation have started to realize these trade-offs. And now we're having to respond to them and this is one of the technologies or technology groups I think responds to them very well. Yeah, so the, this biodynamic treatment of the plant is advantageous on so many levels, but unfortunately, it's not as prevalent. You have a lot of, as we said earlier, black market and even legal weed cannabis products that are infused with chemicals that are damaging to the consumer, yet not readily identified. How do you reconcile that? Or do you think that we are too far behind in our ability, in our in our monitoring of those factors? You know, I don't believe that at all, but it doesn't start from the top-down monitoring. It starts from a movement, from a shift, from a paradigm, from a mental shift at the individual cultivator level, and then that's influenced by the people that are actually consuming the medicine. And so... Things happen over slower periods of time than you might like them to do, and we have control over one thing ourselves and our responses. And if there's enough people that have a movement, and I think this is becoming increasingly popular, think about the movement of organic agriculture and organic organic produce. That's a big deal now. It wasn't such a big deal 10 years ago, and it will continue to move because people are more conscious of what they're consuming, and if people are consumers in general are more conscious of what they're consuming, it pushes the demand for those practices to change, and that's how this happens. Yeah, so have you seen the organic labels or the mammoth moniker on your products to let the consumer know you're getting these high-quality, well-tested, lab-tested cannabis? Yeah, uh, absolutely. You know, and you can't organically certify cannabis because of the regulatory pressures and organic certifications being at a federal nature. But that doesn't mean you can't practice the same uh, regime to get organic uh, product. And, and I'll be quite quite clear, the West Coast, California, Oregon, and Washington are very adamant about their inputs. And it's not across the board because, you know, there's a lot of variability everywhere we go. But every person I've engaged in and grower uh, in these regions in particular, the first question they ask me is not how well it works, is, is it organic and natural, and then let's talk about how it works. So there is a new shift, and this is uh, coming from the West Coast in particular. It's an important thing 
and I, and I think it's it's well on its way, but things take time. Sure. Now, what about the cost factor? How expensive is it to use compared to commercial chemical products? Yeah, and so I think that's really important, too, and that's what we considered on the front end. You can have a lot of great products. I'm a scientist. I'm actually a fundamental scientist by training, and you can find a lot of great stuff uh, as far as data. But if it's not market uh, applicable, meaning having long shelf lives, meaning being economically uh, affordable, you know, the dilution rates and all these things, easy you know, what we learned early on before I even made this product, I went out and talked about a, far, a lot of farmers about the need for a technology like this. And one of the things I heard across every farmer was, I love it. The idea sounds great. And I can't change a single thing to apply this. So it's got to be compatible with everything else I'm doing. So that's another huge consideration. So it's on uh, the responsibility of the inventors and the scientists to it to acknowledge all the market pressures or factors for successful technologies and if they meet all the standards then of course you'll have a successful technology and I think why we've fallen short on organics and some of these technologies that are not ready for market is they're not complying or listening to the market about all their criteria to be economical, to be affordable, to be compatible, uh, to actually make it work for the consumer because at the end of the day we're selling to people who are, who, who are applying a product and it needs to work for them. Yeah, so if it is healthier and the product is better, it's going to cost you more. But like whole foods or organic foods in general, that's just the nature of the beast. Well, yeah, and let's be clear. That's one of the criteria that I wanted. My job and our company's job is to bring value to cultivators, period. You know, the concentration of this product was an example of why I love microbes is I can grow them very concentrated. And so the application rate is point in, in this technology is 0.6 mils per gallon. And so I have one gallon of product. And in this case of the mammoth tea product, it treats over 6,000 gallons of fertigation. And so per application, this is one of the most economical products you're ever going to see anywhere in the space of agriculture inputs. That's important for me. You know, developing technologies that are accessible and very effective and very efficacious, meaning we, we feel like we can afford them, they bring a lot of value, they work consistently, and they work across a lot of management practices so many people can use them. Well, in layman's terms, what is the science behind these microbes? Listen, these are microbes or bacteria and fungi live in the soil. They've supported all life on Earth since the very beginning of time. These are unicellular organisms. Our product is bacteria, and what they do simply is they engage their single cellular organisms, very, very small microscopic microbes, meaning you can't see them with the naked eye. They engage with plant roots, and what they do in nature to support all plant growth is the same thing they do in agriculture. They cycle nutrients. They engage with plants. They allow plants to maximize their physiology and metabolism. They cycle nutrients from unavailable forms to bioavailable forms so the plants can maximize nutrient uptake. They actually compete against pathogens in the soil, and they stimulate plant immune responses through chemical signaling. This particular technology focuses on nutrient delivery, and so you're able to naturally maximize nutrient uptake, and the nutrients are actually building blocks to maximize plant health, quality, and yield. Can we taste the difference? You know, that's actually a very good question. A lot of folks use mammoth. We have a lot of avid, avid followers and uh, and avid customers, quite honestly, we're using, that are using this product, and people are buying it all over the world. Uh, Australia, UK, South America, Spain, all through North America. And 
some of the main reasons people love mammoth. They say their plants have never looked healthier. They obviously say in many cases they see increases in yield. They say, man, my plants not only have never looked happier, but every time I go into the room, they just that aroma and that flavor has significantly increased. And I can see and smell and taste a clear difference with and without mammoth. And quality's key in this industry, let's be frank. Sure, I mean, it's highly competitive. Look around this Emerald Cup setting with hundreds of different vendors. So if we embrace the botanical living plant consciousness, which we shall, right? I mean, there is a consciousness of the plant. So you're feeding it the healthy, organic fuel, food, it's going to manifest in a healthier plant. That's right. That's absolutely right. And I love what you said about the quality and distinguishing yourself is what I like to say. You know, over time, this industry has figured out how to produce yield and maximize yield. And there's a lot of competition. How does an oversaturation of yield uh, benefit one grower over another? Well, it comes to quality. Growers must distinguish themselves with the quality of their harvest, and that really gets this sense of uh, 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 and distinguishes the brand. You know, once you have this sense of quality that you've never had before, as a consumer, you want to continue to experience that next level. This industry's done a great job. Think about uh, the industry in the 70s uh, versus the cultivars that you can experience today as a consumer. It's pushed so far. We still have a long way to go, but it's important. And these types of products help maximize your plant's phenotypic potential. We can't make plants do what they're not genetically capable of, but we can allow them to achieve their full genetic potential, not only in the sense of the growth patterns, but also in the sense of the qualities of terpenes, of flavonoids, and the yield potential. And it's a better green world when you got this stuff on your plants. Yeah, that's right. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Rich Walkoff here at the Emerald Cup in NorCal. Blowing up with Mammoth. Take care. Thank you, guys. That was awesome. Hello, this is Dan Perkins. Here's more important information about the Engage section of the amazing software for new frontier data called Equio. These are just examples of some of the things that Engage can do for you. You will be able to see and understand consumption preferences at the county, state, and even the zip code level. You'll want to follow product trends filtered by age and gender so you know exactly what to offer and how to market it. How about learning the market density of the location you might be considering to expanding your business? Use the Visit Index score to determine the trends that impact your outreach and messaging. Engage with your customer base to expand and repeat your value. You can learn more about product trends filtered by age and gender. This valuable information it helps you to know exactly what to offer and how to market it. Things are changing rapidly and you need the latest information from an independent source to keep yourself informed of the changing markets. For more information on the EQO software package, go to newfrontierdata.com, click on the EQO software, and don't forget to ask about the special offer. This is Dan Perkins. Welcome back to the conversation today. We've got a new guest, a new company that we've heard about that's pretty good size, but we never heard of, but that doesn't mean anything. There's a lot of people that are big in this business and not very well known. We have Terry Ridley, who's uh, the CEO and founder of this company, and she's going to talk to us about what she did to get it going and what challenges that she's had getting it. A company called Civilized, interesting name. And uh, Terry, welcome to the show. Dan, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Tell us about a little bit about you, and then tell us about your company, 
what you're doing and where you're going. Sure. Um, well, let's see. A little bit about me. Um, you'll, you'll likely hear this as I keep speaking. I am an East Coast Canadian gal, so you'll hear a lot of abouts. Um, and, uh, yeah, born and raised on the East Coast. Um, I've been an, an entrepreneur my entire life, come from an entrepreneurial family. So over the years, businesses in the marketing, advertising, communications, real estate, um, actually was a television producer, started a, a television production company, getting me into content. Um, and that uh, five or six years ago took me to California as a producer, was shooting a show that um, uh, a group who was working with me, we sold um, to a Canadian broadcaster. So uh, lived in California, shot the show, and look, that's where uh, the birth of Civilized uh, came about. And it uh, it all sort of started living there for a year, being Canadian and feeling and, and, and being on top of what was happening in the cannabis industry from a Canadian perspective. Um, you know, medical cannabis had been legal at that time for about 10 years, and there was lots of talk about moving recreational or adult use um, legalization forward. And then in California, um, obviously been a little more forward thinking in that regard. So, you know, it was, it was on the heels of putting the show to bed, looking at what the next step would be. My business partner and I, um, we started having conversations and, and really talking about cannabis being, you know, always interested um, in kind of challenging, highly regulated industries from, from the ad and marketing world. Um, you know, a commissioned research because I grew up, I think, like many people who, you know, I was, I was part of the Nancy Reagan just say no and, uh, you know, eggs and frying pans. I, I bought into the stereotype and the stigma around drugs and cannabis. And so I had to be convinced. So right. uh commissioned some research and what came back that we now all know, but frankly, six or seven years ago, I didn't, is that, you know, the cannabis consumer and the culture around cannabis is far broader. And in fact, you know, cannabis consumers tend to be older and they have high incomes. They tend to have children mm -hmm. and own their homes, right? And take nice trips. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I thought, I thought if you consumed cannabis that you were living in your parents' basement with a bong. And I was completely <laughs> wrong. And so that's a great part of cannabis culture, but it certainly isn't the entire culture. And so armed right. with that information and then looking at the content, what was out there, what, what information, there was nothing that could right. speak to someone who was interested in a conversation around getting off of pharmaceuticals or is there a topical or can I sand the edges down with, you know, with a vape pen and cut back on alcohol? There were just so many interesting areas and such a lack of information that served this part of the community. So we started Civilized to do just that. How did you come up with the name? You know what? I, I love this story. Um, <laughs> so after that sort of manifesto night where we sort of architected out this idea, um, it was a couple of days later. Uh, my partner was actually working out at Gold's Gym on the treadmill, and he texted me and said, I have the name. I said, what is it? He said, civilized. And I went, perfect. <laughs> that was it. That was the extent of our focus group testing. <laughs> we said it is perfect. It is just so perfect because this industry and, and everything that had happened for, you know, hundreds of years in the space, it just needed a civilized approach. Well, we we kind of went through the same thing. We were sitting around talking about what we were going to call this show. And we we felt that people were looking for somebody to have a conversation with. So that's mm -hmm. the the idea of the conversation is 
is where we had the American Cannabis Conversation name, and and it served us well. People people like yourself who've come on the show find it to be um, not only informative but but casual and and uh, not adversarial in, in any way. Just uh, um, sitting on the couch in a chair having a conversation in your living room about this important subject. Mm-hmm. Tell us some idea what kind of products and services Civility now has. Hmm. So um, it, it's interesting. So we've we've actually kind of pivoted to a broader lifestyle brand. And by that I mean, you know, based on this relationship we've built with our community over the last seven years, we know that they have so many crossover interests in areas like fitness and wellness, you know, food and drink, those categories. And so what we do is we actually marry mainstream brands who are interested in sort of dipping their toe in this space safely. It's still highly regulated. It needs to be safe. You know, your your shareholders and members of your board need to be comfortable in, in how you're looking to get into the, the cannabis and CBD space. So bringing those mainstream brands and then marrying them up with, with their endemic counterparts. So um, we're, we're bringing those two worlds together and that's all based on what our community is telling us. This is what they want. So we lead education first, content first. Everything has to be quality, informative, educational, ideally entertaining. Um, and because we serve this community and, and you know, listen to what they're asking for, um, our engagement is incredibly high. So now we're at a stage where they want information on different products. It's so confusing. As you said, I mean, the industry mm. is still – so fragmented and you know a number of years ago you couldn't find any information now it seems um you know walking into a dispensary can seem really intimidating um it it is intimidating for many people um fantastic bud tenders but oftentimes you don't know the basics right um and so then you go to the internet and it can be even more confusing so we've really tried to build ourselves as that trusted place for you to get quality information. We wrap our arms around the thought leaders and we bring them to our community. And so now we will be, um, there will be an, an e-commerce part of our business down the road. Um, but this is really about uh, continuing to, to serve the community, bring them that information. And, and um, you know, we're finding that our audience is older. You know, I mean, I, I, over, I think 70% of our audience is over 35. So the nature of the questions and and interest and curiosity is very different than a you know a twenty year old. Sure, sure. You know, it, it, you're 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 doing what we found when we did some of our research here in Florida is that uh, people who were putting out dispensaries under the new Florida medical marijuana law, were, as we you and I mm-hmm. previously thought, their customers were going to be twenty one to thirty five. After two years in the business, uh, doctors telling me. Uh, like it's about 55 and getting old, and they have some patients in the mm-hmm. 90s. And, and it, it's it's not just the fact that the older people, older population, has more money than the younger population. is that their needs are different, and what, what the younger people need is not anywhere near what uh, the elderly need and or the senior adults I keep I'm 76 mm-hmm. so I don't I don't know what I am but anyway um <laughs> but 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 what we're hearing is that in the case of the seniors the number one reason why they're looking at cannabis is pain management because the mm-hmm. typical medication they were getting from their doctor opioids and their narcotics and those things 
were not alarming but dangerous. And uh, they and, and and many times they didn't work and they had tremendous side effects. So they they really migrated relatively quickly to trying find something. But but in that case, you raised some important point. Right now, if you're if you can't find yourself a, a doctor, an MD, who's trained in cannabis mm-hmm. and how to use it, you're on your own. And even right. going to a even going to a bud tender is can, can be risky because you you may you may ask how long you've been a bud tender. You may not. But the idea that 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 there is credible research that's and this is to me is very important, readable and understandable. Mm-hmm is very, very important uh, for, for people who are trying to make significant lifestyle changes, uh, and, and especially the older Americans who are looking to deal with pain management. But what other things do you, you, you talked about exercise? What other things do you do mm-hmm. at, civil, at Civility? At Civilized, yeah. It's, um, Civilized, excuse me. Well, it, it, yes, no, no, that's okay. Um, so, it, again, leading with content, it, it's exactly to your point. And, and I'm not surprised at all to hear um, that doctor talk about the average age. Um, again, it wasn't uh, – it was surprising to me looking at that data many, many years ago and then launching into this business armed with that. So, um, you know, so I'll give you an example. We work – because we're not interested in sort of transactional relationships. So when you talk about what we do, we really marry those those brands who have – quality offering services, products, and they're trying to connect with cannabis consumers. And, you know, sadly, the challenge now, I mean, distribution has always been such a hard challenge, um, you know, even just being able to get your product across a border, um, you know, shelf space in dispensaries. And, um, you know, we've done a different way. When I say lead with content, you're exactly right. I mean, going to our social media channels or signing up for our newsletter, checking out our YouTube channel, um, you'll see things as simple as small little, you know, 30-second videos on CBD for beginners or cannabis for beginners, where it's truly as simple as the difference between a sativa and an indica, or can you get high by consuming CBD? Really amazing beginner level, easy videos with some animation, all the way up to we have full web series, um, an Ask a Bud Tender web series. Um, we've done lots of other, um, to your point, I love your, your word conversations in your show. We developed a whole series called Conversations With. We have conversations with executives, conversations with athletes, conversations with veterans. You know, all of these series, because to your point, yeah, um, there are so many different ways that this plant can best serve the community. If you are an athlete and you're looking for recovery or if you're looking for something to do with muscle pain or joint pain or, um, you know, if you are a veteran and, and you have PTSD issues that cannabis or CBD may be able to help. There are just so many fascinating things that this plant can do and it really can be segmented across so many different members of the culture. Well, it's been, an, as you said earlier, time is going to go fast, and it did. We're almost out of time. <laughs> uh, um, wow. Thank you. I know. As I said, when you've got talented people like you, you have an interesting conversation. <laughs> the time just flies oh, by. Wow. I, I, so, wow. first of all, thank you. For, <laughs> I do. Thank you, Dan. Thank you for taking the time, and we're going to have you back on for sure. How would people get in contact with you and, and what your products and services? Oh, thank you. Absolutely. I was going to say, look, for anyone in that 
cannabis kind of curious community, please do check us out. We're livedcivilized.com. Sign up for our newsletter and follow us on our social channels. We want to get to know you, understand what your curiosity is, and serve that information to you. Um, and at, certainly from the industry perspective, I can always be connected on LinkedIn and um, happy to talk with anyone else in the space. I love this community. It is so embracing, and I just, these conversations, Dan, don't you find that it, it, it really is a welcoming, supportive industry? Sure. Thank you for joining us today. W420RadioNetwork.com.